I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Danny Nobis, clinical psychologist, psychoanalyst, professor, and former chair of the Freud Museum, London. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Available from Trapart Books, 2019. Please visit our publisher's website, www.trapart.net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash van. E-S-S-A 2-3-C-A-R-L Your support is greatly appreciated. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Hello, Vanessa. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a few minutes late. I had to finish the end of that episode of Freud. Are you watching the show? No. Have you? No, no, not the one that they started on Netflix. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, I I mean, first of all, I didn't realize it had started. Um, And I am curious, so I am probably going to watch it. But if, if, if you want to spoil it for me, please go ahead. I won't spoil it. I won't tell you what happens, but it's a show. It's a murder mystery show with yeah. psychics yeah. and Freud. It's like, who came up with this show? Um, well, I mean, look, connections between Freud and Sherlock Holmes have been made for many, many years. But when I saw this being announced, I, I honestly, honestly thought this is going to be absolute total utter shape. Um, I don't know why. I just had a feeling, but uh, but I am curious. a murder mystery psychic Freud show. <laughs> why would you think that? <laughs> I don't know. No, no. But um, back in the seventies, um, I've been tweeting about it actually, but no one no one liked it. But back in the seventies, um, someone called Nicholas Meyer wrote a book called The Seven Percent Solution. Have you ever come across it? Mm-mm. And um, the the story is is that Watson, uh, long after uh, Sherlock Holmes has like overdosed on uh, cocaine, has found an, an unpublished manuscript of of one of his cases, and and so Watson then goes and and tells the story, which is all about how Sherlock Holmes and Sigmund Freud, yeah. You know, Collaborate, collaborate, uh, try, I'm not going to spoil it for you, um, t- trying to solve a murder mystery. And it's it's really, really, really good, actually. What is it called? It's called The 7% Solution. Okay. Um, yeah, and the reason why it's, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's actually really good um, because, because Nicholas Meyer... 
uh, didn't only know his um, Arthur Conan Doyle, but also his Sigmund Freud. So, so he manages to actually play the two characters out against one another. Um, and you can just about, you know, imagine how um, Sherlock Holmes would not want to be outwitted by Professor Freud when it comes to deduction. <laughs> it's actually really good. But but this one on Netflix, I am going to watch it. And, 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 and I'm not sure we already have it here because sometimes there's a bit of delay between the countries. Um, I am going to watch it, but I was honestly expecting the worst. <laughs> you should, but it's better than that. <laughs> <laughs> That is such a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun, though, because they do throw in some, like, historical tidbits that are accurate and, like, little right. parts of the theory. And they'll, like, right. take, like, you know, historical photos that we all know and, like, merge the actor into, like, a like classic Freud pose. Right. And it's nice. Right. You're selling But, it. I mean, it's, it's you're, yeah, you're, it's psychics and seances and murder. So, <laughs> and Freud. So, so does every episode stand on its own, or are you? I'm only on episode three, so I can't tell you. It's a story so far. It's not like it's, it's not, not like the X Files. Well, maybe it's kind of like the X Files, which where each episode's a different case, but yeah. they also weave together a storyline throughout the cases. It it could be that way. Okay, okay. So you don't have to watch all of them in in order to uh, have some degree of satisfaction. Yeah, just right. start it. The, yeah, well, the first. I mean, I've watched only three, but the okay. first one gives you the gist. Right. Okay. Um, I'll I'll see if it's on my Netflix here tonight, and maybe then I can come back on your show. And <laughs> and then of course it's German, so there's that whole flair to it. Oh jeez. <laughs> and there's full frontal. All right. <laughs> Oh, I will tell you one thing. One spoiler alert. Yeah. They have a scene where Freud is masturbating in the bathtub thinking about the psychic. Yeah. So that happened. Who's a his total hysteric, of course. You know, you do realize that you are selling it to me. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, well, that's why I was three by... minutes late. I, I, I had to find I, out what happened at the end. I was like, damn, I can wait three minutes. <laughs> unforgivable. Unforgivable. <laughs> Uh, but I'm now thinking that you're being paid by the producers to actually... <laughs> I haven't been, but I want to know who they are. Like, I want to know who invented this. Like, who came uh, up with this? Yeah, I, I don't know either. I haven't looked at it in any, in any great detail, but I'm sure we can find out. Um, I'm, I'm sure we can even find out if they actually consulted with uh, the International Psycholytic Association. <laughs> They definitely haven't consulted with me, I can tell you that, but uh, otherwise <laughs> I, uh, I would know more about it. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, look, Vanessa, I, 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 I'd forgotten that it, that, it, that it was coming. So thank you for reminding me. It's here. <laughs> Just when we really need it. <laughs> it's, here. it's here, you know, perfect timing, perfect timing. When we're all stuck at home. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, 
Um, no, no, actually, I mean it because maybe they were worried that they were going to launch it at a moment when everyone was already going to be outside. But now um, people will probably think, oh, God, might as well watch that on top of, um, you know, you know, they're showing contagion here. Uh, every- it's like number one every time you open Netflix. It's like the first thing that pops up, which I think is like really in poor taste. They need to not do that. <laughs> Can we not do that, please? And and, and, and not just in the UK, but um, in other countries uh, like Greece, and I don't know whether they've shown it in in, in Sweden. So on terrestrial channels, they've been showing Contagion. They've been showing um, Alien. (laughs) And you think, (laughs) what are the producers thinking of? So there you are, finally trying to get some relief from Corona news, and um, and you're you're being watch outbreak. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Humans are fucked up. (laughs) Essentially, fundamentally, that's the answer. Um, We're just fucked up. (laughs) But but that that's what the coronavirus itself already knows by now. They're probably laughing somewhere, saying, yeah, we fucked them up, you know. Um, thank you for having me back on your show. Yeah, well, you keep <laughs> tweeting all these little morsels. And it's Friday night, and I have my glass of wine, and it's time to spill the tea. What's going on? Oh, my God. Um, well, I mean, you're better than I am. I'm, I'm still on the coffee, but, uh, yeah, I well, guess. It's I, an hour I, later I, here. I know. <laughs> Obsessive compulsive as I am, it's not half to six yet, so it's not it's not gin o'clock yet. Okay, so I'll let you know in twenty minutes, and you can go get one. No, no, an hour and twenty minutes. Oh, but it, uh, but if it's my six thirty, yeah, does that count? Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I I can have half. We'll see that. where we're at then. You might yeah, need it. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> what would you like to know, Vanessa? What's going on? Um, what do you mean? I'm at home. Um, I'm holed up. I'm in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, but you're spilling all these great tidbits about Lacanians in Paris. Um, oh, oh, have you noticed? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know why? Yeah, I want to, yeah. All right. Tell me more. Okay. Um... Of course, you know, there's always a risk when the artist is being asked about the origin of their work that (laughs) suddenly the degree of appreciation will no longer be as high as it used to be. But in this case, I don't have to worry because I only get on average three likes per tweet. So (laughs) who cares? Actually, I will tell you. I will tell you. Um, So about two weeks ago, Paris went went into lockdown, um, so quite a bit earlier than we here in the UK because we're, we're only on day four. Um, so they went into lockdown about two weeks ago, and um, and I was really curious to see how long it would take for a Lacanian to come up with a Lacanian reading of. Um, not only the virus and, and COVID-19, but, but, but the lockdown situation, right? And, and, and lo and behold, it, it, it took less than 48 hours 
for um, a, a very serious, you know, he shall, he shall remain nameless, but you can probably find out if you want to, for a very serious Lacanian to come up with, with a good Lacanian reading. And I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something along the lines of, well, the, the, the virus is um, a, a being that is not alive, which is not the whole in the real, but which realizes the whole in the real, etc., etc. And and it reminded me of the, the other time, which is now almost 20 years ago, um, when I was absolutely, totally astonished, flabbergasted, gobsmacked um, about how Lacanians um, were very quick off the mark trying to recuperate um, a destabilizing event, um, i.e. after after 9-11, right? I've actually written about this. so so. Uh, less than 48 hours after 9-11, you have a bunch of Lacanians um, saying, um, well, the, the, the Twin Towers were attacked as objects of jouissance, of, of, of global capitalism, etc., etc. And, and already back then, it, it, didn't, it didn't so much make me angry. Um, because I don't live Lacanian theory, thank God. But I'm, I'm, I'm just astonished. I'm absolutely astonished. Um, because, I mean, especially now that the whole world, um, both geographically and otherwise, is completely destabilized, there seems to be one thing out there that remains its stability, i.e. Lacanian theory. <laughs> and it's absolutely astonishing. So, so I thought um, I, I'm, I'm just going to poke some fun and uh, and try and dig some holes because I've always believed that you know in 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 trying to seek wisdom we are wise, but in thinking that we've attained it we are fools. So there you go. That's where it all started. Um, you see, I'm ranting again. The last time ranting I ranting is good. Last time I came on your show, I was nicknamed Durant Man. You know this, right? No. <laughs> Did you call yourself that? No. no. <laughs> A good Freudian friend of mine called me Durant Man because I ranted for two hours. <laughs> but I edited you down. I, I, <laughs> I could put the unedited version up and then see what they think. <laughs> You're telling me I ranted for three hours. <laughs> Okay, I'll tell you something more, and, and then you can ask me questions. Um, uh, it's actually also very interesting. I mean, in all seriousness, right? It's very interesting to see how um, psycholytic organizations have responded to the um, coronavirus crisis. And um, so, if you compare, like, the websites of the International Psycholytic Association with the website of the um, Ecole de la Cause Freudienne or, or the new Lacanian school. I mean, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. So, so the IPA website, um, um, I didn't print it out, but, but you can, you, you know, you can find out the IPA website. Um, so offers um, its members a, a, a webinar on uh, uh, on on how to use video conferencing in in their reinvented clinical practice, 
and 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 there's various other rules and regulations that that they post so so they don't really say anything um theoretically conceptually about what's going on but but they support the um ipa members in 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 their attempts at reinventing themselves in in a quite a prescriptive technical way right i mean if you look if you look at what 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 the uh, Ecole de la Cour Scudienne does, um, it's completely different. Um, so, so basically, they quote Lacan and, 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 and they say, oh, according to Jacques Lacan, the school is this, and, 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 and we need to um, come up with a new discourse in order to establish a social link. So, so there's no guidelines as, as to um, what people should do in order to continue to see their clients, um, but, 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 but everything is recuperated with, within the, um, um, the Lacanian orthodoxy. And, and, and it's even worse on, on the side of the new Lacanian school where, 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 where they have a, a pretty long paper um, by um, a hardcore Lacanian um, called, I actually printed that one off, called The Law of, of Nature and the Real Without Law, which, if you look at it, is, is primarily a, a, a series of quotes from Jacques Lamillaire saying that Jacques Lamillaire had already, long before the virus, actually provided us with the conceptual tools in order to understand that. And so all joking apart, um, I mean, we could probably write a paper about uh, on this. You know, it's, it's very interesting to see how within the world of psychoanalysis itself, the responses have been very different. Um, and you could easily see the IPA response as indicative of, of their lack of solid theory and, and, and indicative of how prescriptive they've always been. And you have more experience than I do. Yeah, but they're focused on the frame and logistics, like as if those things are equivalent to psychoanalytic treatment. Right. So you have more experience than I have, although I did speak at, at the New York Cyclitic once. And so it's kind of representative of how the organization operates that um, they issue these these rules and regulations. And, and let's not forget that this is also one of the main reasons as to why the Lacanians, obviously, well, not the Lacanians, but Lacan back in the day um, was, was, to use his own word, excommunicated. And... Um, and with the Lacanians, it's totally, totally the opposite, right? So the only thing you get, I'm slightly exaggerating here, but the only thing you get is just theory, uh, and not new theory, huh? so old theory, rehashed theory, um, as, as if the whole world can be destabilized, but, but nothing, even a virus, can never destabilize Lacanian theory. There you go. Yeah, it reminds me of that phenomenon where, like, every time Trump does something, somebody finds a quote from Hillary Clinton where she talked about how he was going to do that, and they just keep, like, going back to her quotes. It's, oh, really? It, it, oh, do you not know that? It's amazing. <laughs> She's, like, predicted everything that he was going to do and say and what a problem it was. But um, it reminds me of that. It's just, like, always going back to quote the master. Like, but what, but what do you think? Right. But but so who are the people who go back to Hillary Clinton's quotes? The um, uh, the Trump supporters. No. Ah. The Clinton supporters. Oh, the Clinton supporters, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, because at that point, it's a bit different. Because in this case, um, it, it's it's not quote unquote 
the Lacanian opposition that that goes back to to the uh, Lacan to find the odd quote that allows us to make sense of our situation. It's it's the Lacanians themselves, you right. see, that that rely on uh, the master to um, uh, render their, their situation in, intelligible. As a result of which, what what you get is not. The, the the desperate attempt of, of 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 trying to rescue something of the technical orthodoxy that the IPA has always stood for, but the desperate attempt to to um, sustain and consolidate the theoretical conceptual orthodoxy that the Lacanians, especially uh, the World Association of Psychoanalysis and their its affiliated uh, schools, have always stood for. Um, so I thought I'm going to crack some jokes. Um, to, <laughs> um, um, I, sorry, there was someone outside my door. I thought it was the Lacanian mafia coming to get me. <laughs> They're going to arrest you. <laughs> no, but it's always so surprising to me. It's like the most un-Lacanian thing to do to stick to Lacan as if he's dogma. It's like, it's great to learn his theory and to be able to understand what he's saying, but then it's nice to think for yourself. Well, well, of course it's nice to think of else. Um, Is it though? I don't know if that's of course. Uh, no, no, I mean, I mean, between you and I, between you and I, we can say this. But, um, but at the same time, it's also extraordinarily comforting to know that someone else is doing all the thinking for you. And that the only thing you're expected to do is regurgitate. Memorize it. Mm -hmm. yeah, memorize, yeah, memorize and regurgitate the wisdom of the masters, but um, but but I mean my my my, my jokes and and by the way I'm I've, I'm <laughs> I'm going to do the same to my own um, position now as the Lacanians uh, have been doing to 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 their position vis-à-vis -vis Lacan. Um, I, I mean. These these jokes uh, have a history in themselves because um, I was already astonished twenty years ago when when the Lacanians recuperated nine eleven within their theory and and but of course back then there was no Twitter <laughs> or any other form of social media to share them so. Um, so I thought this is this is my opportunity to to actually uh, uh, dig some holes and um, and I'm not I'm not sure whether you saw my response earlier today to our friend um, S. Alfonso Williams's uh, request to capture one's philosophy in four images. Um, so say more about it. Well, well, do you want me to? Yeah. Do you want me to? And um, well, I, I took look. I mean, I took the question uh, seriously, and 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 I and I wanted to stick to philosophers rather than other types of thinkers. Although, of course, you know what constitutes philosophy is very broad. So, um, so I I chose I, I I chose a picture. You probably saw it. A picture of Erasmus and and a picture of Nietzsche. And and I spliced them with with a, a picture of a court jester, and and a hammer, and um, and, and and Erasmus is is the first one who came to mind because uh, I mean if there's one book that that I almost always carry with me it's it's Erasmus's praise of folly, 
which um, which as you probably know was written uh, in 1509 at, at the house of Thomas More, and and what makes the book so amazing is is that it, it's written by a theologian, i.e. Uh, Desiderius Erasmus, um, against theological orthodoxy, right? And 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 it's always you know struck me as as uh, not only an, an, an exceptionally well-crafted work of serio-comic um, uh, ideas, um, but 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 also an, an, an exceptionally trenchant critique of of how, uh, in his case, it, it would have been the scholastic philosophers uh, like Thomas Aquinas, you know, who established uh, the, the 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 orthodoxy in in in, in theology. How how the serio comic style can uh, be used probably in in order to destabilize that type of, of orthodoxy a little bit and uh, so that's why Erasmus um, is there. Um, I, I don't like the idea of intellectual heroes because because if you have an intellectual hero, it 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 it, it can easily again become a doctrinal point and can easily stop you from questioning uh, whatever whatever you read but 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 Erasmus is definitely high up there with with, with people whose work I, I I always read and reread and and of course Nietzsche had to be there because <laughs> if there's any philosopher who uh, with his hammer that's why the hammer is there if with his hammer uh, try to to squash the the sterility, the mirthlessness, the dryness of 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 systematic uh, thinking within German idealism. It would have been Nietzsche. Um, would would it has to be said an extraordinary sense of humour, I think. Right. Um, which then brings me to the court jester because uh, I mean. I've always wanted to write a book about the court jester, but I'm sure there's already quite a few out there. But I, I think what, what makes the, the, the position of the court jester so interesting is that the court jester is allowed to speak the truth with impunity um, because when he speaks, or she, sometimes the court jesters were, were women, when, when the court jester speaks the truth, one can always say, well, he's just a fool. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But, but at the same time, the truth is being, is being uh, expressed, of course. So it, and and we, we don't have enough of those anymore, I feel. Um, I've, always, I've always thought we have to bring back the court jester. So there you go. That's, that's my very brief explanation as to my four chosen uh, images for Alfonso Williams' question. I love that. I did see it, and I love Alfonso. Um, what did Stop. you write after nine eleven? Um, well, I I wrote I, I wrote this book called Knowing Nothing, Staying Stupid. Um, elements for cyclic epistemology. Um, I was looking behind me because I thought it was there, but it's not there. Um, and. And it wasn't. It wasn't inspired uh, 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 by by the Lacanian response to nine eleven, but 
but but I did feel that intermittently I could I could draw upon it in 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 order to to question the the way and in, in which knowledge is being produced because that's another interest as you know I've, I've, I've always had the way in which knowledge is being produced the way in which it's, it's transmitted and we were going to have a conference on transmission in July which sadly um, has of course now had to be postponed um, so it, it, it was way for me to question the way in which knowledge is produced the way in which it is transmitted but also the way in which knowledge um, becomes a sterile um, orthodox uh, a, a, a body of of ideas that is um, used uh, for explaining away everything and anything, um, and so 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 I thought I could I could do something with the Lacanian response to nine eleven, but. Uh, I have no intention of rewriting that book. I, I can barely remember what's in it. Um, but but, but I, I, I do think that although we can criticize the IPA's response, um, I, I, I do think that um, the, the fact that in, in, in times when the whole world and almost everyone we know is destabilized, um, Lacanian theory shows itself to be um, a, a stable, a stable body of knowledge. is is astonishing, and um, and in my book cannot possibly coincide with how an analyst would ever work clinically. Because I mean, just to throw in something else, I mean, if there's if there's anything that 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 Freud reiterated on, on two, three occasions uh, about how an analyst should approach a patient is that one should always approach the patient as if it's the first patient one's ever worked with, you know, which means what? Well, it, it kind of means that you have to be prepared to to put everything you know and everything you've learned to, to one side um, because the patient's uniqueness might very well destabilize your knowledge. So on the one hand, you have you have Freud arguing that each and every clinical encounter should potentially lead to a destabilization of knowledge. And on the other hand, you have the Lacanian saying, well, okay, there's there's about half a million people dying out there. We're all holed up, but Lacanian theory will just stay the same. It's it's just it's absurd, Vanessa. It's absolutely absurd, right? And 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 so as a result of that, I developed this symptom of of cracking uh, a joke every five minutes. Uh, <laughs> maybe one day. And what maybe, do you think of that? What about cracking? Oh well, you see, that's a good question um, because it raises broader issues about the extent to which humor can be used in order to destabilize ideologies. And I'm still not entirely sure where I stand on this. Um, I remember a talk that Simon Critchley gave in, in, in New York um, a couple of years ago, where, where and he's written on humor, as you know, um, where he was by no means convinced that, that, that humor 
um, was was a or satire. Let's let's you know, to, to, to use but, but one form of it was was um, an effective destabilizing force. And and I can't remember exactly Simon's argument, but um, so I'm not convinced. Uh, and and you could say, yeah, uh, however much we expose the folly of 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 Trump Alino, um, you see, the folly is all is already there. Um, so so you you know he may not realize it that 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 he comes across as a fool, but, but yeah, the fool is already there. So how do you make a fool of a fool? You see, um, but, but really what you're asking me, and I don't have the, the, the answer to that question is how can satire be used effectively in order to destabilize ideologies? And maybe someone who will listen to this podcast may, may have a better answer than, than I could ever produce. I was actually asking, why do you think that's your symptom that you have to start cracking jokes? <laughs> oh, I, I always mishear what my analyst <laughs> It's 6.35. Is it 10 o'clock? <laughs> no, it's 5.35. I know I can... Yeah, but I don't want to go away now. Look, we're in the middle of a conversation. Um, we're in the middle of a conversation. Um, why is it my symptom? Um, Are you mm. acting out? <laughs> if I'm acting out, right, if I'm acting out, I sincerely hope that not that many people out there are suffering from it, um, because that's the last thing I would want, right? Um, if I'm acting out, um, I, 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 I think that, um, and then I'll give you a, a Lacanian answer. If I'm acting out, I think that I'm probably going to be the only one suffering from it. <laughs> I quite enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, 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 but but you enjoy it because you're not a hardcore Orthodox Lacanian, you know. <laughs> That's why you enjoy it. And um, I, I haven't been barred yet, for all I can see, on Twitter by uh, any of the hardcore Lacanian uh, sites. But um, I might be the only one suffering from it in the long run. But look, I'll give you the Lacanian answer. If if it really is an acting out rather than a symptom, then it would mean then it would mean that my desire has been crushed by something, and and that I'm I'm trying to express my desire in a different way. And and maybe maybe there is some truth in that. M maybe there is some truth in that. Um, but but my 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 desire has been crushed by Lacanian orthodoxy numerous times over. Um, and 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 I'm I probably shouldn't give you uh, that many examples, uh, if if any example. But so it's not new. It's not new. It's just that now with 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 social media, I felt I had the opportunity to share my acting out with <laughs> with with willing victims <laughs> who enjoy it. <laughs> I enjoy it. Um, yeah, no, of course I enjoy it. You know, of course I do. 
Um, and I don't even have to work terribly hard um, because some people have asked me, oh, my God, you know, um, uh, do you really want to spend every day, all day thinking about Lacanian jokes? But I don't think about them. All. <laughs> they just, they just I, appear. They just appear. You know? they <laughs> They're just, inspired. <laughs> yeah, you see, there's an epiphany. There's an epiphany. You see, maybe the Dr. Lacan is, is exactly <laughs> Whis- Maybe he's making the jokes. Yeah, you're gonna have to hire Freud and the psychic uh, <laughs> to solve the case. <laughs> precisely. No, absolutely. So absolutely. Um, I I feel a script. I feel a script for a, for a proper Lacanian detective program coming up. Shall we write a script? Uh, yes. Maybe maybe Carl can help us with that as well. You can have us film it. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, but, but so maybe Le Docteur Lacan is whispering to me from beyond the grave, but I definitely don't don't have to work very hard to come up with these jokes. Um and, and I'm and I'm actually dead serious when I say that, because although I never attended a seminar and and and, and I never met Lacan in person, um I um uh I always thought, and, and I really mean that, uh, uh, from, from, when did I start reading Lacan? Oh dear, uh, I'm, I'm running the risk of revealing to all your listeners how old I am. Um, probably about 35 years ago, 37 years ago. And um, from, the, from the start, I, I, I thought Lacan was absolutely hilarious. He's really uh, funny. It it is absolutely hilarious. He's got great wit. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. And and my fellow students thought I was crazy. Um, <laughs> well, this brings a whole other subject. Why aren't why don't psychoanalysts have humor? It's so like, can't we laugh about ourselves? I mean, the first paper that comes out is like. <laughs> it has been revealed that there's a hole in the reel. <laughs> you know? like, come well, on, guys. <laughs> did, did, you read, did you read my last tweet? I, I read some today. I don't know if it was your last no, one, Renny. Look, Vanessa, I really wouldn't expect you to read all of them. Um, um, because, you know, I mean, you have a life, right? Um, so... Uh, but um, the last one I tweeted today was, um, uh, and you know that I've been I've been doing this in in uh, question and answer style recently uh, because I started receiving all these questions from Lacanians all over the world with 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 you know questions because they're they're destabilized. So so here's the question from a Lacanian who was desperately trying to find his copy of a Cree underneath 27 packs of Lou roll, right? And, 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 and so the Lacanian says, is the roll the real? And, and the answer that I took from a real analyst of the school is yes and no, you see. The real is the roll, but not the whole of the roll. The real is only the whole in the whole roll. That's true. That's true, right? <laughs> makes sense to me. <laughs> No, it makes it makes total sense. It makes total sense. So um, maybe I mean, the role is a symbol of the real. There you go. You see, it makes total sense. So so it also helps people out there understand. Um, in this case, one of the Lacanian responses to 
to the virus, that, that the real is a being that is not alive, which is, which is not the whole in the real, but something that realizes the whole in the real. So I actually hope that I can also do people a favor and, 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 and that they can use my jokes to understand Lacanian theory. <clears throat> That's always my goal, is to help people understand Lacanian theory through fun means. Absolutely, absolutely. But, um, no, you, you, were, you were talking about something else. I haven't forgotten, Vanessa. Uh, you were talking about psychoanalysts and, who, and humor. Why don't we have any humor? Can't we make fun of ourselves? <laughs> well, are, are, are you asking? Who are you, who are you asking? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the big, the capital W, E. <laughs> the oh. field of psychoanalysis. Oh, the, the weak, the, the <laughs> Not you and I. Clearly, you and I are ridiculous. <laughs> um, um, well, who are the analysts who um, find it very difficult to laugh with uh, themselves? Um, okay, the Lacanian answer to that question is uh, not all. Uh, <laughs> so you're quoting you're quoting Lacan now to uh, answer my question. Not not all. So not all the Lacanian analysts, but um, and definitely not Lacan himself. But 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 actually also not Freud. I mean Freud had had a wicked sense of humor. Yeah. No, absolutely wicked sense of humor. And you may know this. Um, and um, but um, but back in the day when um, when the the, the um, the Vienna Cyclic Society started expanding and, and subsequently, you know, gave rise to um, the international cyclic uh, uh, movement. Um, and an absolutely a, a comic genius um, by the name of Karl Kraus. Um, uh, every so often, I mean, almost every week um, in, in, in uh, a magazine called uh, The Fackel, uh, cracked, cracked, poked fun at psychoanalysis, cracked jokes, you, you see, and um, and and I'll, I'll be, I'll never be able to do what 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 he did because he was an absolute comic genius. But uh, but Freud loved it. He absolutely loved it. You see, so um, so no. Although some of the jokes were were very, um, much like say politely trenchant and, 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 and sharp, you know, some of the other went straight to the bone. Um, Freud would never have gone so far as to say, um, well, this guy um, will put the movement at risk or this, this, this guy is um, clearly in need of psychoanalysis. <laughs> that would be a good response though. Because he's constantly acting out. <laughs> I mean, he loved it. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I think the reason why, why Freud obviously also has had... Does Freud have weaknesses in this new Netflix show? What do you imagine? I don't know. Uh, he's drinking a lot of cocaine. Oh, really? A lot. Right, seven percent solution. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back to the beginning. But um, 
you see, I wasn't thinking of those weaknesses, but but I mean, Freud also had had weaknesses when it went. We all know it when it when it came to to his invention. Otherwise, he wouldn't have chucked out uh, Adler and Jung and 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 Stekel. Um, so paradoxically, you see, Freud's weaknesses were at those very points where he thought he had to um, protect the theory against the detractors. So it's exactly at those at those points that 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 he was uh, or showed himself to be the, the weakest, you know. Um, but um, but in many other respects. Um, Freud w w was was the first to destabilize his own thinking. Well, we know this uh, as a result of which, you know, sometimes he contradicts himself in one and the same paper. <laughs> yeah, and therefore it's generative. And therefore, exactly, and therefore it's exactly, and therefore it's generative, right? So. I mean, I thought the other day, look, uh, maybe uh, maybe I should stop. Uh, poking fun at at at, at Lacanians and Lacanian theory because it's it's never going to be generative uh, because uh, it it's it's too established and 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 protected by by the World Association of Psychoanalysis for for it ever to become generative. But then who knows? Who knows? Right? Um, fact of the matter is that, uh, and, and this is a terrible, and I apologize for it, comparison, but much like Erasmus back in 1509, uh, I thought that in engaging in a bit of satire, uh, I might be able to destabilize Lacanian, uh, quote unquote, theological orthodoxy. And, uh, and if we both, that means you and I come out the other end of the role, <laughs> or should that be the real uh, of the hole in the real that maybe maybe who knows um, Lacanianism can be a bit different yeah and then we can have our meeting and then we can talk this meeting's going to be hella more interesting it was already going to be a really fabulous conference but after all of this I'm interested to see what we come up with yeah yeah but also you know absolutely I, I mean I totally agree with you that um, irrespective of what organizations have said and how they've responded to the coronavirus crisis, and, and I think we would probably have to talk a bit about it when we do come together in, in Copenhagen, but irrespective of that, um, the current crisis is, is also a crisis about trying to stop transmission. You know, it, it, it's a crisis about us human beings not knowing what we need to do in, in, in order to halt the um, incessant um, lethal transmission of, of a virus. So, so the notion of transmission, which we're going to talk about this year in July, will inevitably acquire other connotations, I think. But... Um, well, no but, no but. I was going to say something else, but I'm, I'm, I'm ranting again. Um, ranting is good. How, <laughs> how I, I should have asked you at the beginning, my dear. And um, how is the situation in Sweden? 
Um, they, the schools closed last week, but that's about it. Everything else is open and regular. For me, however, I've been staying home for over two weeks now because right. I was supposed to go to New York for the APA, American Psychological Association Conference, Division of Psychoanalysis, and on Monday the 8th or 9th, they canceled it. It was supposed to be on the 18th. Right. 18th to 21st. So I was supposed to fly out on Friday the 13th. Right. Um, but they canceled it, and then uh, we had um, st we were still going to go because Carl and Jen, Carl and Genesis had a book coming out. Um, and, and yeah, it's uh, they've they've done interviews, conversations together since 1986. So it's yeah. all of their collected conversations from 1986 to 2019. And the book launch party was supposed to be on March 19th. And so we were going to still go. And then we decided, you know, Jen's been really sick for a couple of years. So, like, as good friends, we should just tell, tell her, like, don't worry about yeah. it right now. We'll do it later. And then yeah. Jen died. I know. On that the was 14th. That was ever so tragic, Vanessa. And, and I actually know about this book. Um, it's just as I didn't know there was going to be a launch um although of course it doesn't surprise me that that there was going to be and uh jen was going to come from jen was in the middle of chemo and was going to go from chemo to the book launch wow yeah what a trooper trooper yeah wow oh my god no that that was that was so tragic um but yeah um you see i'm i'm speechless now uh, it doesn't happen very often, but um, yeah. Um, look, I discovered the other day that my life on the corona is actually not all that different from my life before corona. I've been social distancing for years, um, <laughs> and, and I mean, not 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 voluntarily. Um, it's it's probably on account of what we do. Um, it's 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 on account of how we work and 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 where we go and because if we don't go to conferences, which is not of course social distancing, but if we don't go to conferences four or five times a year, we we're at home, right? We're at home working with our with 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 with, with our clients and and then we write and then we read and then. <laughs> Yeah, no, my day-to-day -day is not really different at all. I mean, I don't go to the yoga studio. I've just been, do, like, doing it at home, and that's about oh. it. Because yeah. all my clients are remote at this point anyway. Yeah. So I was already doing this. <laughs> and Swedes are kind of standoffish anyway, so nobody really gets very close to each other anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, no, ab ab absolutely. And and it's, it's different... Um, for people who don't work from home, uh, by, by which I mean people who, who don't see patients at home, but but still, um, the psycholytic profession um, is, or at least should be, and, and I think has been, quite resilient and, and, and rather good at reinventing itself, although of course not, again, at the theoretical level. You know, in, in, in terms of ensuring that the process can continue, um, I, I think that the same is true for other forms of therapy um, by virtue of the tool we use now, 
um, we have been able to continue that. Although it does, and, and, and people will disagree with me, uh, it, it does, I feel, alter the clinical setting quite dramatically if, if you have recourse to Skype or FaceTime. Don't you think? Yeah, I just do um, audio only. Um, but even if you do audio on um, as well, it, I still feel that it alters the clinical setting because um, it's much more difficult to use silence, which, as we both know, is, is, is as important as, as, as what we say and how we say it. Because whenever there's a long period of silence, the client can always um, actually say, oh, uh, are you still there? Is it is it working? You know, um, I can hear I hear a rustle. You see, so so it's very easy for the technology to interfere with with the continuation of the, of of the process, or for technology to become um, a source of resistance, if you want. Yeah, and, it's amazing how many times it cuts off right in the middle of them saying something like like something that you would cut on anyway. It It'll just, just like yeah. drop. I know, isn't it just? And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's just one example of, of how it alters the, um, the the clinical setting. And uh, but but yeah, I mean we've and I can only speak for you and, and myself. I'm not even sure I, I can speak for you, but I think I can. Uh, I, I think we've been able to reinvent ourselves. Um, and that's diff that's that's not the same as adapting oneself. Um, but I think reinventing oneself is much more challenging. And and the IPA has understood this very well. Otherwise, they wouldn't have issued this rather prescriptive set of. Um, I'll tell you the title. The title is "Recommendations for Psychoanalysts Regarding the Use of Video Conferencing in Their Practice." And there's a small paragraph, which I'm not going to read out to you, but at the, at the bottom of the paragraph, there's a, a, a something that you can download in PDF. Um, so there you go. So um, they obviously realize that, yeah, reinventing oneself is, is difficult and, and can easily lead to deviations from the standard framework. Uh-oh. Watch out. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> But you know what? I, I mean, I think, and I haven't, I haven't really poked fun at, um, at uh, as, as you may have seen, at, at, at other schools of psychoanalysis, which I could have done, you know. Um, so I haven't poked fun at the Kleinians just yet. <laughs> what are they saying? Is something trying to eat us? Quite a few clients out there trying to figure out whether the virus is, is an unequivocally bad object or whether is the, it the bad breast. <laughs> wow, you see, there you go. Now, now that's a good question, my dear. You know, um, but is it unequivocally bad? You know, because because uh, maybe some good things will come out of this 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 virus. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, um, what do you, what would you like to see come out of this destabilization? Oh dear, um, oh dear. Um, 
You see, it's a, it's a difficult question because I, I did traverse my fantasy for quite a few years ago, uh, as a result of which it's, it's not as strongly represented in my, in my mind anymore as it used to be. What would I like to see come out of it? Um, look, what I'm going to say is undoubtedly um, a utopian idle hope. But maybe what what I would like what what I would like to see come out of it is um, a, a more profound and more persistent destabilization of of neoliberalism, and 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 I'm very you see I'm 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 very reluctant to come up with with anything too radical because. Uh, it's not going to happen like that, I think. Uh, I think, uh, because we've been hoping for years that that neoliberalism would 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 go and 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 it it, it you know it, it it's proved itself almost almost as stable as Lacanian theory, but but uh, and almost. capitalism and capitalism exactly. <laughs> but, but what, I, what I can hope for is um, is is a more profound and more persistent destabilization of, of of neoliberalism, as a result of which more people out there will um, will be treated um, more equally, and, uh, and and your welfare state in Sweden is is much better than it is in in. Uh, the rest of the world, uh, in, including in, in 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 the UK, but maybe in Sweden too. You, uh, people hope that um, the welfare state will improve even more as a result of this. So, but wait and see. Huh? I mean, wait and see. But, um, because um, the, the, you see, what will be the first time in in I think in living memory. Is is that our collective memories, if we all come out of this relatively unscathed, that our collective memories will be able to have links and connections uh, upon which we could probably build more than ever before, you know, because because the virus has not discriminated. It has not discriminated against anyone. Whether whether you're black or white, or Jewish or or, or Catholic, uh, left wing or right wing, uh, poor or all poor or rich, or, you know it doesn't discriminate. And so I think the collective memory um, will will have a stronger uh, reason to to build upon its the links and 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 and. The, to throw in the Heideggerian, the care, the care that 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 has been hopefully forged as a result of this. So, but we were talking about the good object and the bad object, Vanessa. <laughs> so you see, but there you go. So I'm sure Kleinians out there are thinking, but hey, this is not an unequivocally bad object. It's a because good bad object. It's a good. It's a good bad object. You see? <laughs> it, it, exactly. Um, but but. I was talking about why I haven't poked fun at Kleinians yet. Uh, well, watch this space, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> I will link to your Twitter for sure. So everyone can watch it and hear all your great jokes. <laughs> um, the other thing I have to ask, because you mentioned it, even though I'd love to leave on that 
more high note. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do that. What was your talk at New York Psychoanalytic like? They loved it. They absolutely loved it. Um, and I have absolutely no idea why. What did you talk about? Well, I basically, I, um, so, oh, sorry, you said the New York Psycholytic. I thought you said the Neuropsychoanalytic Conference. <laughs> No. Isn't that interesting? You see, uh, it's just another. <laughs> it's, it's, it's another example of how I constantly mishear. Mm -hmm. uh, Tell what, me what more about that. But my mishearings. Sorry, we've already got three conversations going. <laughs> no, no. Um, but look, back in the day, your good friend Jamison Webster, and I hope she's keeping well. Um, your good friend Jamison Webster invited me to give a talk at the New York Psychoanalytic. And I can't remember exactly what year it was, but it was the, it was a year when Jameson was still in training, uh, in formation, the Lacanians would say. You know. um, so maybe you, you you will remember this better than I do. Actually, what year it would have been? But um, but but Jameson asked me to to give an, an introductory lecture on on Lacan. <laughs> you know, I dutifully obliged. And the um, um, and I went there uh, not with the idea because I, I I never do that with the idea of proselytizing or, or persuading anyone of anything, but I went there with the idea that maybe we could have a discussion um, uh, about the the clinical value of some of Lacan's ideas and and we did we did so it was actually it was actually it was actually a rather good experience but but here's the thing um there weren't that many people in the audience because the honorable otto kernberg was was giving a talk elsewhere in in manhattan at the same time so there weren't that many people in the audience because people had obviously chosen to go and listen to otto rather than myself i mean you don't which i totally uh, you know i totally respect that you know um and so there weren't that many people in the audience and the average age apart from because jameson brought it down a bit but the average age of, of, of the members in the audience was probably still about 78 or something you know i know yeah, so, <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> do I'm you sure. know that otto kernberg was Umbohagen's first uh event he was our first guest He's the first person we spoke to. Well, good for you. Yeah, good for Otto. Good for Otto. Good for Otto, I think. I mean, and for us, but I thought that was pretty uh, open-minded because he gave he wrote papers about 30 ways to kill the creativity of psychoanalytic candidates. Yeah. So we had him come and talk about that because that yeah. was kind of the experience we were having. Yeah, yeah. And, and those were 30 ways that he had invented. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I mean, when, when I, <laughs> no, when I, I had absolutely, n the problem if you engage in serio-comic discourse uh, is that, you know, it can be difficult for people to distinguish between uh, the times when you're serious and the times when you're actually cracking a joke. But when I, when I said earlier on... That was a on, joke that was serious. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but no, no, when I said people had obviously gone to listen to Otto, uh, I, I, I thought, you know, I, I wish I, I wanted to go and listen to Otto myself, but I was stuck in the New York Cyclistic because I had to give a talk. But I mean, look, 
Otto Kernberg, uh, and I'm not saying that because he might be listening to this, um, is probably one of one of the more enlightened uh, minds who, who who does not always not always take himself too seriously. Yeah, uh, those papers are pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyone who writes a paper called 30 Ways to Kill Creativity" deserves my respect. I say, mm. respect, man. You know, respect. Um, yeah, and he talks about how, like, make sure the candidates only only think about and read like the analysts that are important to your institute. Make sure they memorize Freud, but don't start thinking like him because then they might generate their own ideas. But you know what? But we're laughing. But there's actually some truth in that as well, as well, of course. Um, and uh, and and and. You know, we, we we don't have to go back and, and slag off the Lacanians, but um, some of these principles operate in other schools as well. Uh, although the Lacanian school, as I said in one of my tweets, uh, is a school and it is obviously now also closed. But um, because it's a school, so the schools have to be closed. But so they're thinking of renaming it the uh, the new Lacanian false hole, because Lacan said false hole can never be closed. Um, so let's see. Um, maybe that's something else that will come out of this that is rather good. Yeah, but doesn't this happen in all institutes and group group structures? I mean, it's like inevitable. It always happens. You think it's inevitable? Well, we started Umbahagen hoping it wasn't, but historically, it seems pretty inevitable. It seems like any group of people, no matter what kind of people, if it's like a bunch of the same kind of person or like similar-minded people, yeah. it always turns into a problem. Yeah. Um, you've done pretty well uh, in, in, in Unbehagen in order to avoid that, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we still exist, but but it's like, you know, when we started, we had like an event every week and we're really like, um, yeah, really, really active for years, for like three yeah. or four years, but basically not as many events happening in New York anymore. So now we're spreading out, but it's okay because it's like evolving. I think that's part of the way of keeping things from becoming too rigid or dramatic is like allowing them to just like see how they evolve. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, in, inevitably it, it, not that I have much experience at all, but inevitably it requires a great deal of effort to to keep something going. Um, in, in a sense, it requires more effort to keep an open organization um, going and, and, and ensuring that it remains open, literally and metaphorically, than it, it, it requires an effort to uh, in, ensure that it's... Um, anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, that's why one of the things we did when we started uh, like having more events and we decided that every time there was like a project, there'd be like a task force to like work on that project or event or whatever. But then as soon as that event or project was done, it would be disseminated so that like it wasn't always the same group of people deciding what to do about things. It was like different groups formed for every new event or project. But that's exactly what you wanted, isn't it? Um, so I think that's that's how it should be, um, and and I, and I think you've been able to to maintain it, but but at the same time, yeah, as you said, uh, you've moved to Sweden and you've become involved in other projects. So if if then no one else 
uh, takes it over or takes the initiative, then event-wise, things can be a whole bit. But uh, I think quite a few people out there know that it's ex- in a Heideggerian sense, that it exists. Yeah. Well, that that's what happened, too. Like, after, I don't know, three or four years of doing, like, weekly events, at some point, Jameson and I were just really tired. <laughs> And we were like, the whole idea was that like anybody could have an event. So like it kind of just, I think people just naturally fall into this way of like, oh, well, they'll do it and just kind of start looking to like the leader or the people who are doing it to like keep saying what's going to happen and like what's next and that sort of thing. So we always had these like, um, like every, like twice a year we would have like a general meeting where everyone could like air their grievances or talk about ideas of events they wanted to have and that sort of thing. And at some point, uh, Jameson and I, at one of those general meetings, were like, you know, we're tired and, like, basically, like, we can't just keep this up. So, like, either other people start organizing and, like, finding spaces and speakers or, like, you know, that's it, basically. And everybody picked it up. And, like, for the next two years, like, everybody was just making events and making it happen. And that was really nice to see. Well, you clearly managed to instill... Um, a certain creative spirit in, in other people and so you suffered from let's call it unbehagen fatigue <laughs> unbehagen unbehagen <laughs> Un, unbehagen unbehagen uh, there you go uh, there's probably a Lacanian formula for that um, or I'm sure you can probably explain it somewhere on the graph of desire but uh, so you you suffered from unbehagen unbehagen, but you you managed to instill creative spirit in in other people, and and that's about transmission as well, you know. And uh, and I'd be really really surprised if 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 you gave those other people a set of prescriptions like the IPA did uh, about how they can reinvent themselves, or if like the Lacanians did, um, you gave them some quotes from Jacques Miller in, in in order to make sense of, of the new event. So you didn't do that. And um, and and that's you know, that's how you kept things going. So um, God knows what's gonna happen. Uh, um, when we come out of it the other end. We don't know we don't even know uh, where the end is going to be, and and we don't need to talk about topology here, but uh, yeah, God knows what's going to happen. But I hope that um, Unbehagen will continue to flourish in its own way as an existing organization, um, and um, and we'll pick it up. And were you going to do the transmission conference under the auspices of Unbehagen, Vanessa? Right. Yeah, okay. it was our first official international conference. Oh, was it? Right. Okay. Sorry. I didn't see that. Sorry. That's okay. It was, it's in the fine print. Sorry. Yeah. I never read the fine print. <laughs> you, nobody does. That, that's why I'm almost totally broke. <laughs> I never read the fine print. Um, but okay. Right. I see. I see. Um, and, and, and the event in Ljubljana, which has, which is now also, also canceled. Uh, also postponed. 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 Everything's postponed. Oh, okay. That's how we veil the whole. (laughs) It's all postponed. It's not cancelled. I I haven't. I haven't poked fun at Deridians uh, yet. But uh, let's let's put this in a Deridian way. It's been deferred. Exactly. It's been deferred. It's it's in a state of différence at the moment. Um, But that was going to take place under the auspices of Unbehagen as well. 
That was Michael and Manya, and they they work with Mbahagen, but it wasn't officially an Mbahagen thing. Just in right. the same spirit. Right. But right. it's Michael and Manya's thing, where they do psychoanalysis and ice. And now this was psychoanalysis and ice, but not in Iceland. So it was when the ice melts. Right. Now that you talk about Manya, I, I think you should get Manya on your show because um, I know you wanted to me, me to come back on, on, on your show because of my uh, in, in, inveterate uh, acting out um, on Twitter. But in a sense, th this all started, and Manya will, will be able to tell you more about this. Um, this all started many, many years ago with something called Alice's Kitchen Seminar in, in Irvine. You know about Alice's Kitchen Seminar? Oh, yeah. All right. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever attend Alice's Kitchen Seminar? Only remotely. All right. Okay. All right. So, so Alice, who is an absolute legend uh, and, and who is never properly acknowledged, uh, 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 neither by the Lacanians nor by anyone else. So, so Alice, who's an absolute legend, started all of this by, by yeah, running her kitchen seminar. And, and I think Manya occasionally, uh, but you have to ask her, published a transcript of one of uh, Alice's lectures in, in one or the other journal. Maybe you know this better than I do, but... Um, I see, believe I it. Yeah, I, 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 I had also the privilege of attending some of Alice's Kitchen seminars. Yeah, and, I did not know that. And it was... You guys it, go way back. Yeah, well, um, it, it was just absolutely inspirational. It was absolutely inspirational. And, and that's also why I, I, I... The only thing I have to do in order to poke fun at um, Jacques Lamillaire for example, who uh, I, I hear is totally still tied up in the Boromir knot at the moment. Um, but the only thing I have to do is, is to take myself back, my mind back to that kitchen in Irvine in, in 2003, I think it was. And, and there it is, you know, it, it's just it just starts to flow. It starts to ooze out of every corner of, 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 of my... Uh, brief elaboration of a tube that I am so so that's 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 where it all comes from you see there's Erasmus who is my my uh, quote-unquote intellectual hero and uh, and and there's obviously Nietzsche's hammer in the court jester but there is definitely also Alice's kitchen seminar but you have to ask Manya to to tell you more Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Dr. Danny Nobis, clinical psychologist, psychoanalyst, professor, and former chair of the Freud Museum, London. For more, please visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, the podcast website, renderingunconscious.org, or our publisher's website, Trapart. Dot net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon. 
p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a two three c-a-r-l your support is greatly appreciated Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. And now, a mirror of nothing. Further than we'd ever imagined is in imaginary transference. B. No, I do not agree. The forward of the come to change the process that changes with it, the extent they succeed. Extremely searching minds. English language was published in Folly of Vanity or Our Thought Patterns. Argue that thought we would be a few pictures. Embodiment. United States of M is the product. Teaches that created in the garden. Choice, a union, principles, gender, where fiction ordinarily die across thee, pushed to we, through I are one, he or what, aims trembled, to solve, from beneath. Nikola Tesla with with phenomenal, up with the data, spread their thoughts or ideas, explorations and the apocryphal brother, keep our, gave a really, guards the, the accumulation of, biological first, looking for new ones feverishly, as fragmented, of the paradox of things but you, it was the last tie, as father, behold, as thee and after all that, nothing matters.